welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is your host, Ilana Levin, a.k.a. Ilana Brooklyn, a.k.a. Ilana. Oh my God, it's bye week and I haven't done anything yet. And this is a comics podcast, usually. Uh, but there's just been so much groundbreaking, emotionally intelligent action, adventure, animation happening these days uh, that we've been having a number of episodes about it. And today's is going to be all about Shira and the Princesses of Power seasons two and three. Of course, it also helps that the show is queer as hell and has a lot of political undertones to it. Um, and we are excited to have the opportunity to dig into seasons two and three now. We've covered season one already. I encourage folks to give that episode a listen. It was pretty fabulous. Uh, and we're going to be doing spoilers for seasons two and three. Uh, so if you don't know if you should watch Shira or not, maybe check out the beginning of our episode covering one and then watch the whole darn thing and then join us now. And in fact, joining us again is one of my guests from the coverage we did on Shira season one. That is May Rude. May is a queer, trans, and fat Latina living in LA, where she works as a trans consultant and a culture and entertainment writer for Out.com. She loves nerds, Judy Hops, and talking about her feelings. Welcome back, May. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be back. Yay. And joining me to talk Shira for the first time, actually first time on the show period, is Samantha Puck. Samantha is an essayist and culture critic who frequently writes about LGBTQ and fat characters in fiction. She is the managing editor of The Beat, which is a comics website that I write for a lot as well. It is an awesome comics website. Um, Samantha is uh, also the co-creator and editor-in-chief of Fat Venture Mag an outdoor zine for fat folks who are into being active, but not into toxic weight loss culture. She lives in Montana with her partner and cats. And that magazine sounds amazing. Hi, I'm super stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, So I want to just jump in and talk to season two and three. I I really am regarding them as being one season because they're both so short. Um, It felt more like the end of two was a... uh, a mid-career high point, not a mid-career, <laughs> a mid-season high point. Um, so I'm just going to be sort of speaking about it as a whole. But um, I can tell that there's tons of enthusiasm ongoing for the show, just as much, I think, as there was for season one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, I'm so I might have to check to see if this is, like, information that you have to delete, but mm-hmm. Netflix split up the second season into seasons two and three the when they made the show they were making that as one season and so that's why it feels so split up oh it's interesting that you say that too because to me when i was watching season two it very much felt like the back half of season one So I feel as though there's very much a, a level of continuity between the seasons that I guess I don't really experience with other shows so much, and I don't know if that's the release format or just the way that Noelle Stevenson and her team are handling things as far as, like, the plots go, but, um, yeah, I always feel as if each each cliffhanger, each ending very much naturally flows into the next premiere, and it feels like there's no time missing between seasons, mm-hmm. which I kind of like. Yeah, I love that, too. It has such a great flow to the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. I feel like the rate that the show has been coming out has been feeling really rapid. Like, I haven't felt like I've had to wait very long. It's kind of incredible. And I hope the team is, you know, has a chance to sleep uh, <laughs> in the middle of all of this. Yeah, I agree. It's only a few months between seasons, which on the one hand is really cool because, it, you know, we're never 
lacking in new Shira content. But then on the other hand, I do I do mm-hmm. hope that everybody is getting lots of rest and staying hydrated. Yeah, well, there it's done being animated. It's done being written. I think that the voice recording is also done. Like they're just finishing Wait, it whole- up now. The whole show. Oh. Oh. How much more is there? Um, that like I don't remember. Wow. But yeah, they completed the whole show. Yeah. I I can't think. Th- I don't think that's true of anything I've heard about for television. Like period. Well, yeah, I don't think most get like finish the show, but a lot of animation, especially, is done like a long time before we see it. That makes sense because there's so much that has to go into it. And I know that Noel mm-hmm. has talked about how, the, you know, they've been working on it for years. It's mm-hmm. just not something that we saw until the hype started last year. Absolutely. Yeah. So that makes sense. But yeah, that's a I'm weird thing to think I... about. They're like coming to us I'm from what... the past. <laughs> <laughs> it is so wild. Uh, I mean, I think definitely with a show that's so heavy in lore and world building and, and continuity and a show where there really aren't any standalone episodes with a couple exceptions, which I will hit on later. Like, it makes sense that it was written as a whole. And I think it definitely helps the show have that continuity um, and sort of a big epic saga feel to it that it's been written that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but one definitely. But one of the things that I think is also interesting is, like, we know in, like, the case of Steven Universe and uh, Adventure Time that the fact that it took time between different seasons for the show to be written ended up impacting what we saw on the screen, namely like fans and our relations to the show, as well as the creative team's insistence on being allowed to make things queerer. Mm. And in Mm -hmm. Shira, we have a show where they basically were given clearance at the start (laughs) to be able to make things at least a certain amount queer. Mm -hmm. Um, We will talk later about how how queer, Um, certain amount queer from the start. So maybe the fact that it's all in the can already won't become a limitation for that, but it kind of does make me wonder like, does this mean that we don't have any space to ask for more? You know? Yeah, I, f- I, I hear you. And I feel as though... I don't think anybody really knew just how big of an impact this show would have. Um, or how popular it would be. I don't know what Netflix's viewer numbers look like. And I know that that's not usually information that they release. But <laughs> mm-hmm. from what I can tell, everybody that I know watches this show. And everybody loves it. And that's people with kids. That's people without kids. You know, it appeals to such a wide and broad audience. Which is really powerful. But also definitely indicates to me, at least, as, as both an entertainment reporter and also just as a fan of TV um, (laughs) that there's a high likelihood that we will get more and I hope that that's the case Um, and it does to speak to your point Alana it does make me wonder about you know if we if we're asking questions or if we pose things as as a fandom or as viewers or as reporters whether the team will have the opportunity to address those things in like new new episodes if this becomes a a continuing thing after this first wave of episodes is is done airing if that makes sense yeah yeah Yeah. and like i do not know any spoilers but i have complete trust that noelle stevenson is gonna make the gayness as gay as it can be like more than it has been so far which has been explicitly Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely (laughs) in noelle we trust yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, so yeah I mean I think that the show's done amazing things like having Bo's dads be featured in this season 
Um, oh, Bo yes. has two dads. Yeah. They're adorable, and I love it. Um, you know, it was really, it was really great. Um, I, when I was putting together the, uh, the post on Twitter asking folks to send us their questions, I wanted to, in honor of bye week, make sure that the gift that I was posting was as queer as possible. <laughs> and I realized that most of my sort of queer Shira gifts worth that I had had was all stuff from Princess Prom. I was like, there's been a dearth of additional gift making. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I wish we had, you know, gifts from Huntara and mm-hmm. um, literally yeah. <laughs> everything from the, you know. From when Adorv just from first sees Huntara. Huntara. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorites. But um, I'm just trying to sort of think, like, what are the big, what were the big queer moments from this season that, like, really should have been in gifts, even though they did not exist yet? Um, I So I know that a lot of the shipping culture around this show is all about Katra and Adora, which I totally understand and support wholeheartedly. But I think there's a lot of content between Scorpia and Katra that just yeah. doesn't get talked about. Yeah, when Catra literally grabs Scorpia by the claw and is like laughing and running, mm-hmm. like, and it shows Scorpia like blushing and being like, "Oh wow!" Like it's because she's been having these feelings you can see all season. Yeah, yeah for sure. That and like watching, oof. yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot, and especially watching scorpia so clearly have these feelings for Catra, and Catra just being so blinded by her betrayal. Um, by Adora, like, the feelings that she has about mm-hmm. how their friendship fell apart. It's it's kind of sad to watch yeah. um, because it's very clear that Scorpia very much wants to be, like, Catra's number one, and that's just not in the cards currently. Um, and I don't know if it will it's, ever be just yeah. because Catra's so kind of distant and broken in a way. Yeah. It's so frustrating. It's, it's so hard because, like, to Catra does not understand Shira's Adora, I should say, Adora leaving her as being a political act at all. Like, she views it just as being, you left me. She doesn't mm-hmm. understand that there's actually, like, I left an abusive situation. I'm asking you to leave it with me, but you're not able to see yourself existing outside of it. Um, and she doesn't understand that, like, you're part of a fascist organization. Like, you should leave that now that we have other options. And Catra just yeah. views it as being a rejection of her as an individual. Um, and that's just so tragic. And then, meanwhile, with Scorpia, I mean, Scorpia obviously is so enamored of her, and it's just really unclear to me if Catra has the potential to appreciate her, um, and if the best that like we could get out of this is like having Scorpia realize that like Catra is not capable of being the friend or romantic partner or whatever that like she really deserves here um yeah but i think it's also interesting though that the show she always says like i want to be her friend she never says yeah sorry no you're (laughs) um sorry it's just go ahead no you keep talking you're good samantha okay can you hear me? So um, the thing is that, you know, yeah, Scorpia is, you know, Scorpia looks like an older teenager, at, certainly at minimum. And Scorpia's framing of how she describes her friendship with with Catra is like, I want to be her friend. She says, like, you know, you mean everything to me. And the, the fact that, you know, the, Scorpia is not ca- capable of, like, being like, 
I want you to be my girlfriend. It can only just put it in these more like childlike mm. terms almost. It's just hard for me to negotiate if I think that that's the show saying that because they have a young audience or if that's something about the character and how she's been sort of stuck in this emotionally terrible environment. You know, are there even couples in the horde? Like, is that a thing that you're even allowed yeah, to like, be? They don't have parties. They don't have birthdays. Yeah. Like, it would make sense that they don't have couples. But also, I do think probably some of it has to do with, like, the age of the audience. Yeah. Yeah, I think that both of those things are, are relevant when talking about the Scorpion-Catcher relationship. But I think, um, this is a spoiler, but there's a moment in do it season three where Scorpia is very much like, hey, what if we just stayed here? Like you and me, what if we stayed in the Crimson Waste and we just like built a life here? Mm-hmm. And you can see that that's something that she really wants, whether it's in terms of, you know, a friendship or a partnership, a romantic partnership or whatever. But Katra is just so focused on sort of getting back at the person who hurt her that it leaves Scorpia in this position of clearly wanting, you know, that space for the two of them. And I think that moment, for me at least as an audience member, that seems like the moment when Scorpio realizes that she's never going to get what she wants from her relationship mm-hmm. with Katra. Mm-hmm. And then that just continues as as Katra sort of devolves into this like supremely evil being who's willing to literally destroy the world in order to get what yeah. she wants. And it's just so, so sad. Because I feel like Scorpia is trying really hard to like almost fix Catra and sort of heal her, mm-hmm. and it yeah, just absolutely. doesn't work. She literally swaddles Catra, yeah, and like whispers to her like, "You're gonna be all right. We're both all right." And uh. but then in the final episode, we see Catra threaten uh, to knock out Scorpia, just like she did with Entrapta. Yeah. And then, like, there, like, you can really see, like, I think the complete, like, loss of hope on Scorpia's side. Yeah, I think when we come back to them, we'll see them both, we'll see Scorpia having a different attitude towards things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it would have been so beautiful if they had been able to run off in the Red Waste. I, I have to say, honestly, Once Upon a Time in the Waste has got to be my favorite title of an <laughs> episode on anything. Um the, I'm a I'm a I'm a big like classic film geek and like Once Upon a Time in the West is yeah. Spaghetti Western by Sergio Leone like total classic yeah and like just this this what's so cool to me is like this show in this in the last season I think it really experimented with genre for the first time um, it had mm-hmm. two episodes that were westerns right one of them is basically Mad Max from like the original Mad Max. It had one episode that's a horror story, like the one where mm-hmm. they're trying to communicate with the ghosts of the first ones. Yeah. I'm not an expert at like movies like The Ring, but it kind of felt a little bit like a bit of a Japanese horror movie feel to it. Yeah, and there's um, the D&D episode. Yes, so good. <laughs> Literal D&D episode. Yes, thank you. Yes, they literally play D&D. What other <laughs> yeah, genres did we have here? Um, I'm trying to think, like, what other genres are represented. I definitely, there's also that element of, like, really intense sci-fi in the episode where she's opened the portal and, like, the world is collapsing. Yeah. Which is yeah. really cool. Like, you literally get, like, a, a version of Katra who's, like, half creepy, like, robot cyclops creature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And we have like the teen comedy of the episode where we meet Bo's dads. Yes. Yeah. Oh man, I love it. Like Bo is feeling like he has to still like can't fully be himself around his dads. Yeah. And like it's such an interesting because you know so many of these movies like you have queer kids and they can't be straight, they can't express themselves in front of their parents. And in his case, he has queer dads, and he's also still struggling with like how he's going to be able to express his identity in front of his dads. And it makes me think, you know, like there's a lot of like you know Bo might be trans. It's not necessarily clear. Um, but like that this is maybe uh, one of the reasons why his parents come around is because they've seen him and be like, oh, well, we don't want to be the source of you having to like repress yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like obviously like nothing's been confirmed about him being trans, but he's so trans coded in like so many great ways with like the, when he like wore a top when they were in the hot tub or whatever in season one, mm-hmm. like all this, embarrassment about like them showing baby pictures of him like there's so much that just is really great trans coding that i think like trans viewers trans mask viewers particularly get a ton out of and i really love that part of the show yeah that episode was just great like i don't know um it it, it helped build the character of Bo to like you understand where he came from and how yeah he- you know, his own story arc, really. Well, and I love, too, that it gave us sort of even more insight into his friendship with Glimmer. Mm. Um, you know, because they're they're super tight and they've known each other forever, but they haven't really known each other forever. And there are lots of things that he keeps really locked down. And so it was interesting to kind of get sort of into that, that piece of his life and also to see how Glimmer and Adora dealt with that. Um, and to, to recognize that even though they're, you know, the best friends trio... They all still have these very separate individual lives that they have to sort of reconcile with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And like that echoes back to the princess prom episode again when Glimmer was mad at Bo because she was like, oh, we're best friends. We're supposed to do everything together. Yes. And she's continuing to learn that she, they aren't like a couple. They aren't the same person. They each have their own lives. Yeah. Well, and I think often um, when I watch this show, there's actually Mindy Kaling wrote in one of her books that best friend is not uh, like a ranking, it's a tier. Mm. And I think about that a lot with the way that the the princesses interact with each other and the way that Bo interacts with them and and even um, Seahawk, you know, like they're all they're all friends and they're all kind of on this level with each other. And it's really interesting to see them sort of navigate those relationships as they move through the series. Yeah, I feel absolutely. like we had less, we had less of the other princesses this season than we did before. Yeah, they were there like early on, but then it kind of focused in on Catra uh, and Scorpia, and then the best friend squad at the and, second and, half. And the and the adults also the adult generation. Yeah, we really absolutely. got to look at them for the first time. I mean, the one, the reason I just bring that up, and I love that those areas that it's explored, but is that um, one of the things that appealed to me about the show was that, in the first place, was that it's Shira and the princesses of power. And mm. I, I don't like the idea of there being, like, a lone savior. Like, that's just not a trope that appeals to me politically. And one of the mm-hmm. things that I've liked about the show is how much of it is her and Glimmer really, like, organizing the other folks in the land to be able to stand up and fight back themselves. Um and to uh, 
I, I want to see that expand to include people beyond princesses more than it has. Yeah. Well, can we talk about the like absolute end of season three? Yeah. Where yeah. Adora is going to sacrifice herself. She says, I have to do this. It's my destiny. And then, uh, wait, I'm blanking on... Uh, Angela. Angela is like, no, like other people can help you. You don't have to do this by yourself. I'm going to do this part. And I love that. Like, it's Mm -hmm. very sad and very moving. But I think it really does a great job of showing exactly what you're saying, that Adora can't do this by herself, no matter how much, like, she thinks she has to. And it's also important for the adults to step up. Like, if someone's (laughs) going to make a sacrifice, it should be a grown-up, like, adult and not a child. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and um, I think, too, that, you know, obviously Angela's sacrifice is going to mean so much for Glimmer. Mm-hmm. Like, she really, because she's already stepped up in so many ways. Like, Glimmer, you know, at the start of season one is really kind of childish in the way that she deals yeah. with her mom and her mm-hmm. responsibilities as a princess. And then, you know, as she moves through the series, she she becomes a lot more mature and she really kind of starts to embrace the responsibility of what she's doing and to, to organize others, like you were saying. Um, but, but now, I mean, I don't know what the rules of royalty are in Etheria, but my guess would be that she's going to have to take her mom's spot as queen. And that's going to really change the way that her dynamic with Bo and Shira and the other princesses works and functions. And she's, and she's a character who's expressed so much frustration with her mom having to operate in the realm of politics. Mm. And now she's going to be the one who has to actually look at political concerns when making decisions. <laughs> Dang, for yeah. Yeah. So welcome to our <laughs> side of the world. <laughs> um, the other piece with the adults is just like, we see all these flashbacks and, you know, we wanted to know more about Shadow Weaver and like where, you know, how she came to her situation and, I, I'm still really struggling. Well, there's so much amazing voice acting from that actress this season, as per always. But um, yeah, Lorraine was, Toussaint. Mm-hmm. Yes, Lorraine Toussaint. Oh, she's yeah, fabulous. I love her. But I just, I'm still like, we, I don't know. I feel like we haven't fully reconciled the whole like the, you know, she becomes like, I presumably, I guess, scarred or physically altered in some way because she becomes evil, and she's like the only character who has a sort of mask where she's hiding her face and she's the evil one. It's still this... I, I, I believe that the show could do something to make that work and, and feel different, but it, it still hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah, I think because... May, maybe because uh, the whole show has already been written, like, they just have that conclusion reached later. And because we're in the middle of an already finished story, we just haven't seen that play out yet. That could be possible. Well, and she also, she's not the only one who has, like, physical deformities, because Hordak, his suit right. quite literally keeps him functioning. It's very but, Darth Vader-esque yeah. in that sense, but mm-hmm. I do understand but what you're saying evil, about... he's evil, right? Like, yeah. he's actually, he's, like, evil, so it's just, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking about the symbolism of the fact that she was called Light Spinner back before she went bad, and then Shadow Weaver, and she's dark, and she's evil. Like, it's not the greatest yeah. look. Yeah, yeah. But I want to talk about Hordak, because this is the season where Hordak becomes a full-fledged character. Um, Yes. I love the fact that it's revealed that he is a clone, that he's been sitting around there trying to make more clones of himself. 
that that little you know like the Banffs from X Men, yes, right, like version. That's totally a failed clone of him. Yeah, his like little pet that sits in his lap and he pets it. That is a failed clone of him. That's it's so wild. terrible and wonderful. <laughs> and others, it's just terrible and wonderful. He's like, I have failed to clone myself. My cat is me. <laughs> um, good Lord. But like, and you know, but like, what does it take to make Hordak sympathetic? So what does it take? It takes him, us being clear that he has physical disability that he's struggling with, that he's experiencing pain, that being in this world that he's in is causing him pain, and that he has a bigger boss breathing over his shoulder and that he has feelings mm. of inferiority. So those are the things that it takes to make us feel sympathy for him. But he's still literally a fascist leader. I don't know. What do you guys think about Hordak? How should we feel about Hordak? What, what do you think about the direction that they're taking us with the character? Well, so before I get into anything else, since it's bi week, I want to say that Hordak is like a daddy now. Like he looks great <laughs> in that new exoskeleton. <laughs> like I, they, I don't know what they did, but he went from it's what entra- like a scary monster it. guy to a sexy monster guy, and I'm loving that. Entrapta, it was her magic. Entrapta, she, she did it. She knows. She really did that did. on purpose. Yeah, she did. She's like, gotta make him look good. Well, you know, they're friends now, so she has to help him. Yeah. Oh, right. Thing. That's the other thing. That's the other thing that helps make him be a character who, like, suddenly we have some empathy towards is he has a friend. Like, Entrapta, as much as she's a villain now, is still somebody who we like. We want her to see the light. We want good things to happen to her in the future. So her showing care for him makes the audience's relationship with him change as well. It's so hard for me to look at Entrapta as a villain because, like, the way she's coded, she just is so... She doesn't really have, like, those those same attachments that we do to, like, morality. Like, her only real attachment is to science, you know? And so she just, she just wants to learn things, whether she's doing that with the Horde or whether she's doing it with the Princess Alliance. Like, I don't, it's so hard to read Entrapta as a villain, even a reluctant one, because I really think she's just kind of doing her own thing. Yeah, I think, honestly, that's something that is really cool about the show, that all of these villains so there's Katra who obviously oh, tons of people in the fandom love Katra yes, Entrapta who, yeah Katra's amazing <laughs> Entrapta who we also love and have a hard time seeing as a bad guy Scorpia who like is trying her hardest and just wants to impress Katra and is like doesn't really seem mean ever no never mean and then even in this season, then Shadow Weaver, who is an abusive mom, is working with the good guys. And they're saying, mm-hmm. even though she did these terrible things and we're not going to let her back in our lives in the same way, maybe she can, like, she's not a lost cause, maybe. I think that mm-hmm. they might be doing a lot of that kind of messaging, which I really like, that people are redeemable and that... Uh, reconciliation can be healthy or at least forgiving and moving on not necessarily letting the person back in your life but letting go of that anger and letting go of Mm -hmm. that animosity and i appreciate too that by you know giving shadow weaver this background and by giving us more information about hordak there's never a sense that the villains are being like wubified or that like mm. we have to feel bad for them or that we have mm-hmm. to relate to them. They're still very much evil characters who are doing terrible things. 
And so it it really kind of drives home the point that, like, people contain multitudes, which I think is really neat. Mm, absolutely. And yeah. I really respect and appreciate the way that they're going about that because um, as much as I love a villain, especially a good villain with, like, a really good origin story, I think that the way that people tend to take villains from large franchises especially and be like oh well you know he's just it's not his fault like he doesn't Mm -hmm. know any better it's really irritating and i'm really grateful that that's not something that's necessarily possible with the characters in Mm she-ra i mean i hope you're right but i don't necessarily know that i that the people have responded that way to be honest i mean like it you know, I don't think like we we periodically don't get to see as much of like the 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 um what is like Hordak's like colonial enterprise doing to people like you see that, but it kind of fades in and out of focus. Um, you know, having having ha- him have like this relationship with Entrapta, who we still like, but in part you know also in part because we were introduced to her as our friend, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, I think I, I do think that there's this possibility that people will feel like I I don't know I mean I guess I'm not necessarily as optimistic as you are <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. is the conclusion I guess because but it's I haven't about the show seen it. and more about the fandom maybe yeah I haven't saying. seen yeah. it and so that's what makes me hopeful that I won't see it but you know anything anything is possible <laughs> also I do think that it's hard to be optimistic because literally this is like new ground that we're talking about there have before steven universe there haven't really been shows that were this like queer and this kind and this Mm. complicated in children's animation and so it's hard to sort of picture like because like Adventure Time opened up so many doors for Steven Universe, and then Steven Universe opened up so many doors for other creators that we haven't been able to see the results of yet that I think are going to, like, bring huge changes to animation. Like, I'm very optimistic about that. Yeah. Like, Steven Universe was able to do such amazing things and is wildly, supremely successful in doing those, like, having, like, a gay wedding episode. Yeah. And having a character who is non-binary and intersex. But, you and, know, I guess one of the... Th- oh, sorry. No. You go. But, you know, I think one of the things that made me think about from, like, Adventure Time is... In Adventure Time, like, they, they make... They, you know, it, you, it becomes clear to you, oh, Simon, a.k.a. Uh, the Ice King, is actually a tragic figure. Mm. But at no point are you sitting there saying, gee, I sure hope he's successful at kidnapping a princess and making her marry him. Like, yeah. you're able to have sympathy yeah. for him as a mentally ill, you know, person, as someone basically with Alzheimer's, mm. you know, um, and without making you want him to have his goals. And I think that's sort of how you should be like trying but, but, but that's what the goal the, the goal should be for this kind of thing it's like you can feel their pain but not want them to take over the fucking world and kill everybody like you need yeah. to find something else that will make you happy <laughs> like other than yeah. conquering mm-hmm. for sure so let's talk about everybody's favorite new character who is obviously Huntara um, obviously as soon as she was introduced she was everybody's favorite person because she she's so hot is, she's, <laughs> she's so hot no i mean yes because gina she's davis? like she's yeah. gina davis God. she's gina davis it's so good gina wow. davis who is also on glow so she's mm-hmm. just 
being oh, amazing yeah. and being everywhere. Oh, incredible. I love her. Um, so, like, it's great to have this, like, another amazing, like, butch woman character on a kid's cartoon. Yeah. And, like, she's a large person. She's mighty. Um, and everybody is instantly like, wow, that's, that's just super magnetic. She's really the coolest, hottest, most awesome person in that bar. And she's a big, like, like six foot tall woman with broad shoulders and big muscles and like an absolute butch. Like she's yeah. incredible. She's like so wonderfully queer in a very queer way where you can tell like she was designed by queer creators and yeah, not yeah. like straight creators yeah, trying to guess what Basically. a gay person looks like <laughs> oh that's <laughs> so true <laughs> like they were like oh here this is the kind of like dream boat that we dream about and that's Hantara yeah that's her she's it and she has her awkward girlfriend situation even who sort of it's like her lackey is her girlfriend I'm sorry that's just a fact um, <laughs> I think you're correct so, you know <laughs> Yeah, like, I'm like, I, you know, I'm not saying Hantara, that she's the best person and in exists and is in a, and is in a truly equal relationship with her partner. Like, eh. mm-hmm. but, um, you know, she's a complicated character, right? Like she leads them on this goose chase, basically, and just wants to maintain her control. But she's certainly not evil. Um, she's just trying to survive in a really harsh environment. Yeah. And I love the whole idea of like, no one can survive on the wastes, except people do. So it's this idea that like, the fascist system doesn't believe that it's possible to exist like outside of their order or against the people who they're fighting against. But I actually know people have opted out of that. Yeah. Like on the margins and they're living. Well, and it's like, I feel like there's a lot of that in this world. There's beast Island that we keep hearing about, but we have no idea really how terrible it is or not. Like it based on the hordes description and, uh, like the good guy's description of the red waste and the whispering woods like Bo lives in the whispering woods that's where his family lives and early on they were like oh it's this like spooky woods place and then like oh there are ghosts here but then it turns out not to be ghosts so like I feel like these all of these characters have such a small misinformed worldview about the whole planet you know there's like it's a very strange thing because they're so like small but then they have like weird technology and like pretty complex cultures yeah but it seems like these are very small cultures also well and i mean we learned in season three that this the etheria is basically like a baby planet you know yeah yeah which is really fascinating. Um, we also learned that Adora is literally like an alien. Yeah, right? If we can just talk about that for a minute, because that was... <laughs> but that, that was, was not a surprise. It wasn't a surprise, but it was also like, okay, they're actually going to do this. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I wasn't sure if that was really going to be the story that that they told. And then and they're just... Every time I, th- I think that She-Ra is not going to go where I think it will go, it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is really, really cool to see, and it's really, really refreshing, and I love it. Absolutely, yeah. But I think the revelation that she's, uh, you know, comes from another dimension and came through a portal, it's, like, obvious, right? Um, but I think that's okay, because that means it made sense. Um, <laughs> it does make me sort of question the whole, like, the whole idea of, like, being born 
with special powers or you're, you have to be different in order to do that and you know it's one of the reasons why Bo is such an important character mm. is because he doesn't have powers he's just choosing to do this because uh, he cares about freedom and wants yeah. to do the right thing yes and he's not relegated to like the nice guy role Mm-hmm. Like, like because because Xander was like that on Buffy, he didn't have any powers, and then he was like the nice guy, and it was the worst thing. Like mm-hmm. I constantly just wanted to slap Xander. <laughs> I mean, well, Xander had a lot of yeah. other problems. I think yes. that were just terrible. So many reasons to slap him. <laughs> yes, this is true. But like, I don't have that experience with Bo, so he doesn't he yeah, doesn't embody that great. trope, which I really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, Bo is fabulous. So, I don't know. I mean, Shira is literally a magical princess from another world. I think that, like, the her, her questioning whether or not she had any choice in her destiny and Light Hope being like, well, no, you, you have no choice, was a really powerful moment. Mm-hmm. And I think Light Hope is wrong, but that's something that she's going to overcome yeah. in the story. And I think yeah. at the end when we saw Angela make that sacrifice, that was a part of... Adora realizing that, that maybe her destiny isn't so forced upon her and clear-cut and solid. Yeah. yeah. I would agree. This season was really intense. Like, this season moved it really was. fast. So much happened. Uh, so much happened. And it was all so, like, emotionally resonant. Like, I... Normally when I get... When I watch she I watch it kind of all in one fell swoop and I get really, really into it. Mm-hmm. And, and with season three, I really had to kind of take some time and process things that were happening <laughs> um, more so than in previous seasons. What was the thing that you felt like got under your skin the most? Honestly, Scorpia's whole arc. Mm-hmm. Because I just, I relate to Scorpia on a lot of levels and it just breaks my heart to watch her just constantly walking into these situations where she is going to get hurt and I think she knows she's going to get hurt but she almost like can't help herself mm. and so well, it's Scorpia, just it's just so much to watch <laughs> well Scorpia is a character who's on the bad guy side because she was put there by her family right. basically mm-hmm. she's essentially a hostage she was decided that she's just going to try to survive as best she can as a hostage so yes. like, I don't consider for, to be clear I don't consider Scorpia a villain like I think she like, there are things she could do to free herself, but, like, she's not in the same position as, like, Hordak is, or as... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and well, entra- and it, or even as Entrapta is, frankly. Yeah, and this is the um, world that Scorpia knows, so if she was to leave this world, like, where would she go? But, I mean, that's you know? exactly what Adora did. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's and Adora's true. a real hero. I mean, that's uh, Yeah, that's like, thing. Adora was basically born into the same scenario she was born into or like brought as an infant to the horde didn't know any other Mm -hmm. world but then when she saw what they were doing she knew that it was wrong yeah that's true i think that but i think that there's a family connection for scorpia like basically her family gave her stone yeah to um and i think that there's a certain amount of her that just coming from this sense of obligation well, and she like, says, feels- too, in the Princess Prime episode that, like, the other princesses mm-hmm. don't like her. Mm-hmm. And so I think yeah. maybe there's a piece of her that feels as though the only place where she can belong is a place where she's, like, evil but not evil, you know? Yeah. I love in the episode where they where Catra's desires sort of rewrite the world um, that, 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 that Scorpia is like, I just don't like her. 
that her mm-hmm. her yep. yeah. she doesn't quite know why and she's this very likable friendly person and I I feel like almost like like people would be like oh my gosh I can't wait for Scorpia and Shira to meet each other and be friends because they're both nice people and then here they are in the alternate mm-hmm. reality and they don't like each other because this is stuff that's just still sort of spinning out of Catra's own imagination and Catra sort of wants everybody to herself, I think. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just some residual awareness of them being enemy. Ooh. So, you know, it's possible that, like, just even though the world we were experiencing was sort of warped by Catra's desires, mm. even despite that, Scorpia might have just still had an awareness that in the real world, she and Adora are enemies. And what did even folks think more about than that whole episode? Enemies, uh, Scorpia is in love with Catra, who is obsessed with Adora. And I think it was partially that, that Scorpia is like, I know you're the one who is making it so that Catra doesn't even see me. Yeah, I think it's just one of those feelings that really kind of is so strong that it doesn't (laughs) matter what Mm -hmm. else is going on. That feeling is going to come through. Yeah. For sure. What did folks think of that episode? I'm obsessed with like half robot Catra. That whole sequence is just so terrifying. And the mm. fact that Adora is like racing against time to save the world, but she doesn't quite realize it. Like there's, there are a lot of very well-timed and well-placed pieces in that episode that are genuinely frightening, which I think mm-hmm. is very, very cool, especially for a show that's, you know, it's, it's aimed at kids, and I don't think that it's inappropriate for kids by any stretch, but it's, it's, it's a little scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely, I don't think it's inappropriate at all, but it, I think it just challenges kids in a, gra- in a lot of great ways. Yeah, I would agree, for sure. Uh, but looking at the world, I guess it's rewritten, and you have, you know, King Micah is back. You have Glimmer sort of being able to be more childlike again. Mm-hmm. You have the Horde operating as she thinks it's supposed to, you know, and being triumphant. Like, I mean, what do we think it says about her worldview? And and, and were we just seeing the world as Catra wanted it to be? Was she completely rewriting it? Or was it almost like an alternate version of of, of the world? I think it's kind of like a, uh, it's a wonderful life thing where like, what if Adora had never left, Mm -hmm. you know, and then extrapolated from that? Yeah, I would agree. It feels it feels like Catra trying desperately to make all the pieces of what she wants work together. Um, yeah. And they clearly do not. Hold on one second. Thomas, stop it. <laughs> Get down. Okay. Aww. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like Catra's trying to put all these pieces together of, you know, what what does Catra's ideal world look like? Mm-hmm. Catra's ideal world is where Adora never left and the Horde is successful and she's not treated like garbage and everything, you know, fits together. But that's unfortunately not how things work. And also it's just a really naive in a lot of ways yeah. view of the world. And that's why a lot of things don't work. Like Catra doesn't want to have like emotional resolution and heal from trauma. She just wants things to go back to how they were, where she could pretend that they were perfect. Right. And cause they keep on saying like, everyone's saying everything is perfect. And uh, it's obviously not. People are disappearing. Boom. Areas are disappearing. 
Right. I think it's actually a great example of masking. It's a psychological terminology for that. Oh. Um, yeah, I thought that was a really cool touch. And I, I, it's something that a lot of shows experiment with, but I think this one did a great job of it in particular. Mm-hmm. Another favorite moment of mine actually was Entrapta breaking out the spreadsheets and data to make a scientific pitch to Hordak that he should let uh, Katra live. <laughs> She's like, well, the data shows, like, she knows how to speak to him as like a scientist and to manipulate that. Um, and it was such a great way of sort of showing like her character's priorities and her ability to understand his character's priorities. Mm, yeah. Yeah. She, and then, Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. I, I just, she really can talk to him and work with him in a way that no one else can. Well, there hasn't really any been other scientists of that nature, right? Yeah. Like in the story or that he's encountered. Um, but yeah, like really knowing how to speak to somebody, somebody, I don't, it's not really necessary to manipulate, but like to get to speak to them in the language that they understand. Mm-hmm. And then we, and then despite that, you have Katra being like, I'm still going to assume that we're operating in a pure form of aggression and just say, fuck you to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, almost tossing Entrapta's uh, work out the window, as it were because she doesn't know how to do things other than the straight up opposition. And she doesn't know how to do things other than chase Adora. That's all she can do. It's her only focus. Yeah. She's so tunnel visioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She gets sent to this place to do this thing, this place to do this thing, that place to do that thing. And every time she's just like, okay, I'm going to catch Adora. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting about that too, is that it comes from both a place of like, yes, they're, they're childhood friends and they have this, this deep connection and, you know, Catra's in love with Adora and vice versa. But mm-hmm. then also Catra's deeply jealous of Adora, oh, not yeah. just yeah. within the horde, but also, you know, Adora has this great new life with these great new friends and now she's a princess and she turns into a giant lady with a big sword. You know what I mean? Like there's so much focus on Catra taking that sword from Adora at multiple points throughout the mm-hmm. series <laughs> that it's just like, s- the symbolism is incredible, but you know, there are so many layers to her being so deeply obsessed with what Adora's doing and and how she can kind of foil Adora's plans. Um, yeah, and, oh. oh, sorry, I was going to say, if she, I feel like if Catra could just focus on something other than Adora, she would maybe be more successful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's more on the jealousy. She's also jealous that Adora seems to be like a chosen one. She's like, you got to be force captain. Uh, Shadow Weaver treats you better than me and now you get to have these superpowers and you get to be this hero and then you just leave me behind like why don't I ever get the special things yeah absolutely why don't I get to be the special one mm-hmm. which is legit you know yeah but, but it's also so good to see her just flourishing in the crimson waist like beating oh. up tongue lasher becoming head God. of a gang like, wearing an awesome jacket Wearing, wearing an awesome jacket. And, and she gets one for Scorpio, too. They have yeah. matching jackets. <laughs> Which also, so again, that's such a great, like, queer characters made by queer creators moment. Yes. Where we have Catra with this leather jacket and Scorpio with this, like, sleeveless denim vest. Yeah. And they're just looking awesome. And so, like, like those are visual cues that young queer people pick up on. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And, like, 
people look at that and they're like, oh, I should get a leather jacket. And then you become a leather jacket queer. Yep. Or you become a yes. denim vest queer, you know? Yep. <laughs> and I love These that. These are about the options. Show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These are your options. Um, do we uh, have anything that we folks really want to make sure we hit? I guess oh, I wanted to get folks' thoughts around body diversity with the show. Um, you know, we 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 have uh, a lot of expertise in that area, and I wanted to make the most of that. Um, like, you know, we definitely exciting to see like large muscular characters like mm-hmm. Hunter and Scorpia. Um, I don't know though. Like, there's it's not like we have everything there yet though. Yeah, like Glimmer is chubby and cute. In that way, uh, so is Spinnerella. Yeah, whom we haven't we barely seen. see Spinnerella. Yeah. I know. Uh, Angela yeah, is I feel way like... taller than Micah. Yes, I Which really I like that. That was awesome. Yes. I also really appreciate. Um, there are two moments where we see Bo rip his full-length shirt to make God. it into a crop top. That's incredible. Which That's is perfect. just—it's perfect. It's—it's it's absolutely perfect. Um, yay for crop top representation <laughs> but um but um and may you were talking earlier about how you know Bo is very very trans coded which i think is really great um and i i do like that um i think alani talked about this in the the episode about season one the fact that shira turns into a larger woman mm-hmm. when she why are my cats doing this right now why <laughs> why are you doing this stop um, but the fact that she turns into a larger woman is really cool. Um, I also really appreciate that that even in the crimson waist, there's a little bit of diversity. Like obviously, there are like you know anthropomorphic animals essentially, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there you know there's also people who are tall and and short and chubby and very thin. Um, and so it's it's kind of neat to see that yeah. represented. Yeah, and it's and definitely also, better than what we get in a lot of shows, which I... Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also with uh, trans coding, I think a lot of people, a lot of trans women specifically, really relate to Scorpia. She's tall, broad-shouldered, you know, like, mm-hmm. has a similar body to a lot of trans women in a way that I think a lot of trans women really appreciate. And well, I know a lot of trans... I don't have to say I think I've talked with trans <laughs> women about this. Yes. Um, but I st- we still, I feel like we're still kind of waiting for Arthur there to be, like, a fat character who's, like, a princess, basically. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. There's also, um, um I will say I also like that there's, um, age representation. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like, Frosta's 12, or what is she, like, 11 yeah. and three quarters? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and then Angela is, you know, a mom. Um, and Huntara, we don't exactly know how old Huntara is, but she's clearly not, you know, a teenager. So we get kind of a, a, a diverse range of ages, which I think is neat. I also wish that we saw more... I mean, we have we have Hordak and we have Shadow Weaver, but I wish that there were more characters with different types of disabilities. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's always a goal, but just animation and TV as a whole medium haven't really hit yeah, yet, you sure. know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, but this really was the season where we finally got more adults um, having adult conversations with each other. 
Um, yeah. You got to see them interacting. I agree. There was a little bit less focus on, like, what the kids were doing. Yeah. Oh, and I want to talk more about Bo's dads. Like, yes, that was such a great episode. And to see these two dads being, like, so corny and so, <laughs> like, cheesy in the way that dads are, but towards each other was, like, such a great representation of a queer family in a children's show, you know? Like, and they weren't just there, like, in one scene. They were there for a while, and we learned a Mm -hmm. lot about them, and we got to see them talking to each other and interacting and flirting with each other, and that's amazing. Yeah, I agree. That was a really excellent episode. Um, And one of of our writers for the, The Beat, Avery Kaplan, wrote about how that episode was really cool because... Bo has to come out as a freedom fighter and so Mm -hmm. even though he's in this really great really loving family that's like very queer and that you don't really see on television in any form but especially in you know kids media Mm -hmm. um and then Bo still has this thing that he's like keeping a secret because he's afraid his parents won't accept him for it and so to see that represented through this story where clearly they you know they're fine with it they're worried about him (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they're ultimately fine with it was very, very cool. And then also to see Glimmer and Shira kind of have to navigate. Because, I mean, I think that Adora is very socially awkward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In new situations. And so to be presented with these two, like, really, you know, smart and friendly and dad jokey guys who are just kind of in your face kind, she doesn't know how to deal with that at all. Yeah. Which is really interesting to watch. <laughs> Well, then, especially because her main other friend is Glimmer, who we see her only interacting with her mom. Yes. And it's a completely different relationship. And so then now she's confronted with not one dad, but two. Yeah. And how do you deal with that? Yeah, absolutely. And and a two-parent yeah, home that her. she's not familiar with either, you yeah. know, because it's been so long since yeah. her dad died. And just to see dads at all in the show is novel. A lot of shows just don't have mm-hmm. older and to, characters in them. I love that they're black or whatever the planet's version. They're, like, coded as black, you know? They are mm-hmm. black characters, basically. Yeah. Even though it's not Earth or not African-American or whatever. Uh, but I love that we're seeing a black gay family that loves each other and that is happy and that's big and healthy and just shown in a really great way. Yeah, absolutely. I also really appreciate yeah. that they do try their very best to help fight at the end, <laughs> even though they really don't know what they're doing. They're just like, okay, let's do it. Um, I appreciate that sense of adventure. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. I want to talk about the D&D episode. Yes. So <laughs> so I'm somewhat new to D&D, and so to watch these characters embrace these various D&D tropes was very cool, and it felt like a piece of Noelle really inserting itself into the show because absolutely. I know that she also plays D&D. So that was just so much fun. And also I feel like it gave us so much more of the characters' personalities that we literally could not have gotten in any other way. Absolutely. And just the way each character sees Catra is one of my favorite parts of the whole show. Absolutely. So fun. And it also calls back to the the original and the original character designs, which is a Yeah, when they get to show off the old designs, yeah. Yeah, it's a very cool little Easter egg. That's an episode that I really do need to rewatch, actually. 
it's that that's where i need to go it's so good and then simultaneously while they're doing all that planning you see scorpia trying so hard to like yeah you know be be the perfect fill-in and and do everything that catra wants her to do so that she can get catra's affection and yet again she's foiled by adora mm-hmm. so yeah it's very very good i also be- think that my favorite thing about that entire episode is mermista because she just doesn't care like she has no <laughs> concern she's like i'm sira uh-huh and that's that's her whole thing. She has no compunction about whether or not it's practical or whether it makes sense. And everybody else has these things that kind of make sense for them. And she's like, no, I'm just going to be this. And it's just going to be fine. <laughs> Which I think is excellent. Do you have a favorite Catra from that episode? Honestly, I really love Glimmer's version of Catra. The, like, femme fatale. Yes. And I also love that, like, in her mind's eye, Glimmer sees herself as this, like, super badass, like, you know, noir freedom uh-huh. fighter who's just, like, kicking yeah. ass. I and Catra so calls cool. her, her, like, arch rival. Yes. <laughs> Not Adora. No. Yeah. No, I think that that's great. It's It definitely gives you insight into sort of how the characters think, which mm-hmm. we don't get a lot of because so much of the show is through Adora's point of view. Yeah. And so it's it's a very unique way to do that, and I really appreciate every every element of it. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, I loved uh, Bo's Catra just with the constant cat puns. Oh yes, like she purring. made a pun out of purr like six times. Yeah, just constant purring. Just constant purring. Constant. I purring. love it. It's so good. And I then she turns so into a monster cat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, logically. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> well, and then of course, when they go into the actual fight, the fact that they all are like, "We're going to embody these cre- like these caricatures that we made of ourselves to the best of our ability." Yeah, and it works. It's it a does. little goofy, but it works. But it works. Yeah, and it, it which, very much feels like a real D and D session, which I think is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully, it gives some kids an opportunity to find out about the game who might not know about it otherwise. Yeah, yeah, for sure. definitely, for sure. Well, I know that this year there was also that April Fool's prank that they were making a Shira tabletop game, and everybody was super bummed when it was an April Fool's prank. <laughs> God damn it! Well, maybe they'll do it for real now, yeah, right? Yeah. I would play it. I would play it every day. Absolutely. So, um, well, uh, if folks have any predictions you want to make for where the show's going next, now's the time to share them. I, I mean, this might not be popular. I really want a Catra redemption arc. Like, well, not redemption in the way that she's just gets off scot-free, but I want her to realize her mistakes and come around and change her behavior. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really cool, especially because she gets so obsessed with this world that she wants to create that she literally almost destroys the world. Mm-hmm. And the only person who really counts himself as her friend anymore has to like physically stop her, I think makes a big, um, a big impact, or at least I would hope that it makes a big impact on her moving forward. I also, like I said earlier, I'm very, um, excited and, and nervous to see how Glimmer handles her mom's death and what that mm. means for not only her as a character, but also for Etheria as a whole and for the Princess Alliance. Also, honestly, I want to, I'm hoping to, and I have faith that we'll see a gay kiss. Like, I think that would be a perfect 
and I don't doubt that it's going to happen. Yes, I would agree. I hope for that as well. Do you have a prediction for who that will happen between? The obvious choice would be Spinnerella and Castaneda. Oh, I was thinking the obvious choice is Catra and Adora. Well, I mean, oh, yes. Wow. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that that's going to happen. I'm, I mean, I think there will be a, 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 a same-gender kiss, yes, but I don't think I think it's hard because it's, it's Shira is a licensed property. Yeah. So, you know, Noelle and, and the team can take them out of the box and play with them, but there's only so much that they can do to that extent. But yeah, what do I know? True, maybe, maybe they'll, you know, maybe they have that coming down the line. I hope so. I think that would be I great. hope so, too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, they're not really selling toys, are they? They have the Mattel dolls. Yeah. Oh, they do? Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah really like at Comic-Con... Sure. Like I'm they, waiting for the Funko Pops. <laughs> They're yeah. coming. They well, have to Funko be. Funko Pop for everything. But I mean, like, action <laughs> figures for, for, for kids and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, they have uh, Mattel dolls and, like, some play sets, I think. Yeah, they have a couple. I think they have at least a couple action figures. And then they have the actual, like, not Barbie dolls, but Barbie dolls. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you both for joining me. Let our listeners know where they can check out your work. Uh, Samantha? Um, Sure. So uh, I am the managing editor at The Beat, which is comicsbeat.com. And then we are actually just about to launch the second issue of Fat Venture Mag, which is fatventuremag.com. And I can be found on every form of social media under the handle The Verbal Thing, which comes from a Gilmore Girls quote. So... (laughs) and what about you may uh and and oh making sure everybody finds each other on twitter as well yeah um so uh just last week i started a new job as a daily contributor to out magazine congratulations so thank you uh but so you can check out my work there i do mostly culture and entertainment stories uh and i'm may rude on twitter instagram mayrude.com it's m-e-y-r-u-d-e sorry that it's spelled weird <laughs> don't apologize <laughs> and i'm ilana um ilana underscore brooklyn e-l-a-n-a underscore brooklyn on twitter and i'm never on tumblr anymore which maybe is why i have no idea what's happening in the shira fandom <laughs> that is also my tumblr. the memes are great you gotta go to tumblr to look at shira memes they're great there are really good shira okay. memes on tumblr i actually found a very large contingent of shira fandom on twitter yeah which yeah, has been really fun God. really yeah okay I, i'm gonna count on you guys tell me who i should be following because i'm really not in, involved in fandom beyond like all of my friends who just watch the show anyway. I don't know if this is the right time, but we actually launched pitches today for a Shira fanzine that we're Ooh, putting together. Nice. Um, so we're gonna pay our writers and artists that contribute, and then any proceeds um, that are raised via Kickstarter, we're actually gonna donate to Races Texas. Um, oh, that's fabulous! Yeah, so I just shared that on my Twitter today, but that's um, it's called For Etheria. <laughs> Um, and there are Incredible. a lot of really great Shira fans that are following that account. So if you want to get started, you can hop on there. <laughs> Say that one more time. It's called For Etheria. So the Twitter handle is fans for Etheria. And we just launched our pitches today. But lots of lots of Shira fans following that account. So thank you. 
Uh, and as always, Graphic Policy Radio is on Graphic Policy Radio is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. You named it. Graphic Policy is our website, and I have two uh, panels at New York Comic Con that I'll be promoting. Um, and I hope you guys will come to those as well if you're going to be in New York Comic Con. One of them is on women in Jack Kirby comics, and the other is called Sandman Made Me Goth and Other Things <laughs> I Learned from Comics. Incredible. So it's actually not just about Sandman. It's about pop culture that we got into because we read comics. Um, but that certainly Sandman was a vector for a great many of us. So anyway, have a great week, you guys. And as we like to say, keep it geeky. <laughs>